Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. We're going to have a look at this in Ephesians chapter 1. If you can, uh, if you can turn there, if you've got a Bible. If you don't, you can look with us on the screen. Um, Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses. <clears throat> and uh, let's have a look at this. Chapter 1 and verse 15. This is a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus. It says here, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I want to just pause there just for a moment um, and just draw your attention a little bit to what, what Paul is doing here. Paul has planted this church in Ephesus. And you have to understand, and I want you to see this from this particular perspective, um, that the church that Paul is writing to is a church that is doing really well. There are other books in the Bible that Paul wrote or other letters, if you like, that were written to particular churches that were undergoing particular problems or challenges. And what Paul would do in those other letters, he would address those specific concerns, whether it be heresy in the church or whether it be division, perhaps, or whether it be a church that's facing Um, some high-level persecution. He would write a letter to encourage them. This letter is different because this letter, Paul is not writing to a church that is incredibly divided or has some major heresy going on or is under incredible spiritual attack. Paul is writing to a church that is actually doing quite well. Paul is writing a letter to a church that is doing good. Paul's writing a letter to this church that has experienced some growth, that is producing disciples, that Paul is actually quite proud of. But what I want you to see is that Paul, while he's in prison, still feels the need to write a letter to a church that is doing good, to stir their heart that while they are doing good, God has not called them to good, God has called them to great. That Paul in prison feels such a stirring within him that says, I know the church in Ephesians is going good. I know they're blessed. I know they have little challenges, but for the most part, they're doing good. And I know I'm in prison, but I cannot seem to shake the fact that I feel stirred by God to write this letter over this church and stir something within them that would cause them to not want to stay in good, but to get hungry for great. 
that I think this right here is a great message for each and every one of us. That while there may be situations in your life right now that you need God to do a miracle in, and I'm not trying to belittle those. I know represented here this morning, there are serious issues, serious concerns, areas where you need miracles and where you need breakthroughs. But comparatively speaking, where we are right now, church, and I can speak on behalf of every single one of us in comparison to the rest of the world, you're actually doing pretty good. But God has not called you to stay in just good. God has called you to go from glory to glory. You're not called to stay in good. You're called to be great. And I wonder if this morning you would receive that word over your life that it's time to shift from good into great and receive what God has for you. Paul is in prison. Paul is sitting there in a dark prison, not knowing what tomorrow holds. Tomorrow for Paul could mean a beating. Tomorrow for Paul could mean a hanging, could mean a stoning, could mean they're going to take his life. But Paul sits down and feels such an urgency in his heart and in his spirit to say something to this particular church in Ephesians. He feels this stirring within him. So he writes these verses that we're reading. And he says to the church in Ephesians, he says, I'm praying for you. I know you're doing good, but I'm praying over your life. And he tells us in these verses what he's praying. And this is powerful. I want you to again be reminded of this is coming from the Apostle Paul as far as he knows moments before they may take his life. This is where we see what is so important to Paul that he feels the need to pass this on to the church in Ephesians. And he says this, he says, this is what I'm praying for you, church, that the God of our Lord Jesus The Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That word spirit is speaking of supernatural. Wisdom speaking of clarity. What what Paul is saying to this church in Ephesians is he says, if there's one thing, the first thing I'm praying over you, church, over a church that's doing good, over a church that is faithful, over a church that has seen God do great things, Paul says the most important thing I'm praying for you, church, is that you would get a spirit that would give you a clarity in knowing who God is. And that to me, when I read that, I thought that's bizarre because Paul, you're in prison. You're in prison. You're in prison for your faith. And you're writing a letter to the church. If I'm in that church, I want Paul to give me the top 10, top 10 ways to avoid prison. You know, I want Paul, you would think that Paul's focus in this point, at this point would be what's happening around him. 
Wouldn't you think that Paul would be sitting there and he would write a letter that would, that would sound more like, hey guys, listen, you've got to be careful that you don't get caught. Come on, wouldn't that make sense? Coming from a dude that's about to be killed, it would make more sense, wouldn't it? He would, wouldn't it make more sense that Paul would say, listen, be careful. You've got to avoid these Roman dudes. You've got to avoid these religious guys. They are to kill you. You've got to be, you've got to be wise in your, in your dealings as Christians. You've got to be careful that you don't end up where I am. You've got to be careful because these dudes are real. Believe me, I've been beaten. I've been stoned. I've been persecuted. They're trying to kill me. They might kill me tomorrow. This is what's most important, church. Paul's Paul's not saying any of this. It's almost like Paul is in the middle of a prison. But he's completely oblivious of his situation and his surrounding. And he's so caught up in this revelation that he already has of who his God is, that is so powerful in his life, that it's given him such a sense of peace and joy and stability that no prison can steal from him and no sentence of execution can steal from him. That Paul begins to write these letters and say, church, if there's one thing I'm praying over your life is not that you would avoid difficult circumstances because you will never avoid them, but there's a peace that you can get in your heart from a revelation of knowing who your God is that'll cause you to walk through them and not cause you to be pulled down by them if you would know who He is. It's a knowing of who. This is so powerful, church, because Paul is saying, listen, church, I want you to get a perspective I want you to get a perspective on what you're going through. Perspective is such an important thing when it comes to our life. How many know that perspective determines your viewpoint of something? That somebody sitting right here on the front row has one perspective of me in the natural, a viewpoint of me that's different to a person over here. That it's the same way when it comes to our life. That you can be walking through a situation and you can have a perspective either as a victim or of a victor. And if you see yourself as a victor, you don't focus on what you're walking through, but you focus on what you're called to. And when you get that in your spirit, you can walk through hell itself and keep your head high and keep praising God and keep declaring His goodness because your perspective is different. And Paul goes on and Paul starts to continue to tell us what he's praying for. He says, the first thing I want you to get He says, don't worry about the accusations. Don't worry about the persecution. Don't worry about where I am. He doesn't, Paul didn't even address it. We look at this like it's light, like Paul's in prison and we sort of just read over it. It's it's, it's powerful because it gives us context. He's in prison. Even how he begins the letter is powerful. It's so upbeat. It's like you're looking at it, it's like, bro, are you delusional? He says, blessed be the God and Father, in verse 3, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
You feel like St. Paul, bro. Like I get being positive, but they're about to take your head off. You understand how powerful the touch of God is upon your life. You understand that you don't live this airy-fairy, momentary, up-down. You can actually walk through difficult circumstances when you have that peace within you. And Paul begins, continues to, to tell us his prayer. And he says, I'm praying this, that you would know him. And then in verse 18, he says this, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know, look at this, what is the hope of his calling? What is the riches of the glory of his inheritance? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Paul's saying to a church that's doing good. And I want you to see, and, and you can read, read it later, the verses that build up to these verses I'm reading right now. Paul addresses a phrase and continues to hit it. In fact, he hits it about eight times in the New King James across 11 different verses. And it's this phrase, in him. Where Paul say, speaks over the church and he, begin, and he tells the church everything that they have. He says, you're blessed. He says, you're forgiven. You're made holy. You're redeemed. You're restored. You have an inheritance. And he continues when he repeats, when he says these different things the church has, he continues to repeat this phrase, in him. In him. In him, what he's trying to do for this church is he's trying to position their perspective. The position of your perspective is incredibly important. That there are particular things in your life, and I want to outlay them for you real quickly. Simple things that Paul addresses in this prayer over the church in Ephesus. And it's the position of their perspective in Christ. And the first thing he says is you have to understand you've got to get a God perspective of his calling and his purpose for your life. You have to get a position that looks upon the purpose that God has for you. That too often we use this wording. We say, and so many people come and say, Ben, I want you to pray for me. I want to know what my purpose is. I want to correct you right there. It's not your purpose. It's his purpose for you. That you will never, ever walk in what God has for you if you have a mindset that it's your purpose. Because living for God begins with a life that is completely surrendered to Him. That your job is not to walk out your plan, your purpose. Your job is to surrender your life to His and say, God, I'm obedient to you. What is it that you have for me and that you want me to do? Because we're so fickle, aren't we? We want one thing one day and something different the next. Because we think we know what we want, but God knows what we need. And so often what we do is we come to God with our picture. And we want God to bless our pretty picture. And we say, God, this is what I want. But if you get, you can actually get so fixated upon your picture that you miss his purpose. Because more often than not, 
God's purpose is contrary to our picture. Let me explain. Remember, remember David? David in the Bible, David gets called by God through the prophet. Samuel comes and Samuel says to Jesse, bring your sons. And, and you know the story. David comes and he gets anointed by God. God's purpose for his life, that he's going to be king. So he receives that purpose from God upon his life. But then the story goes on and it actually says years later, when David is out in the field, David doesn't get presented with a crown. David doesn't get presented with a throne. David gets given some bread and some cheese, the Bible says. David, listen, that would have been, I I dare say I'm going to speak on David's behalf right now. But I dare say David being a delivery boy for the local bakery was not the picture that he had in mind of what operating in the fullness of God's purpose for his life was. I don't know about you, but for me, I would have struggled in that moment. The moment my dad came and bought me a loaf of bread and said, I want you to deliver this to your brothers. I want to say, bro, you better take that bread back to the kitchen. I got anointed king. I got a picture of me on a throne and I'm going to focus on that picture. And that's what I want to do. But because David had submitted his picture to God's purpose and was obedient and faithful to what his covering had directed him to do. David took that little bread out onto the battlefield without even realising that God was using a loaf of bread to position David to a battlefield, that he would step into a battle against a Goliath that would give him favour with the king and position him to the throne. How many things in your life have you rejected just because it didn't match up with your picture. Too many young people are saying, I'm believing for the right one. I want to get married. The problem is what's working against you getting married and stepping into what God has for you is you are so fixated on the picture of what you think you want and God wants to give you what you need, but you're missing what you need because you've created this little idol of this pretty little picture that you think is your perfect world that you want to live in. But then when we challenge people, no one wants to lay that down. Because ultimately it's an issue of, do I trust Him? Do I trust God? It's getting a perspective on His purpose for my life. Paul goes on and he says, I want you to get that church. And then the second thing I want you to get is I want you to get a perspective on the riches of His inheritance. The first thing is is a perspective on, on his purpose. The second is a perspective on his provision. His provision for your life. Now immediately when we hear that word provision, we start thinking of checks in the mail and winning the lotto and I'm all about it and praise God and I hope it happens to you this week. But understand this, the provision of God and the blessing of God is greater than a Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, Pentecostal handshake when you leave in church where someone gives you a 20. It's deeper than that. That if you could understand and get a fresh perspective on the blessing and the provision that God has for you in 2019, 
that what God wants you to step into and walk in this year is greater beyond, above what you could possibly ask, think, or imagine. In fact, it is already on your life. We talk about blessing like it's something that we're praying will come my way one day. God, I want you to bring a blessing. God, I want you to pour it out. Let me tell you something. God has already poured it out upon your life. That was what Jesus did when he hung on a cross. It wasn't just dealing with your past. It was setting you up for a blessed future. And if you would believe it, you could receive it. But we too often don't believe that we are blessed. We have this idea that God, we're praying, God, I want you to move. God, would you move? If we're saying, God, I want you to move, that suggests that God's not where he should be. God is exactly where he needs to be. He doesn't need to move. We need to move. That's why, I'll preach it, that's why David said, Your word is a lamp unto whose feet? David didn't say, God, your word is a lamp unto your feet. So when I quote your word, you'll move to where I am and bless me. No, David said, your word is a lamp unto my feet. And when I declare your word, it doesn't move you. It moves me to where you are so I can receive the breakthrough and the provision and the blessing that you've already paid for on the cross. You are already blessed. Listen to me. God has assigned the blessing, but you activate it. How many blessings are on your life that are laying dormant because you just simply will not believe it? You would understand that you're blessed. It's powerful. It's not just, I'm not just talking about monetary blessing. If you would understand how powerful the provision and the blessing of God is upon your life and read about it in Scripture, you will also see that blessing is a protection around you. In Numbers chapter 22 and 23, it tells us the story of Balak, King Balak, who was the king of the Moabites, an evil king. And the Bible says that the Israelites were blessed people. King Balak was over the Moabites. And King Balak, it says that he looked upon the Israelites and he saw that the Israelites were blessed. He didn't like that. He was intimidated by that. So he calls up this one dude. Well, they didn't call in the Bible, but this is the Bible according to Ben. So just roll with me. And so he calls up this dude, Balaam. And he said, hey, bro, I need you to come over here. And I want you to curse these people, the Israelites, because they're blessed. And I'm intimidated by their blessing. They're multiplying in number. And I'm scared of what they could potentially do. So can you come over here and pronounce a curse over them? And the Bible says, you can read it later, Numbers 22 and 23. So Balaam jumps on his donkey and he starts riding down there ready to drop a curse on these people that are blessed. And the Bible says, it's a funny story because halfway, God speaks to Balaam's donkey. Read your Bible. And the donkey, the donkey knows, the donkey's got enough sense to know how powerful the blessing of God is upon these people. And the donkey says to Balaam, bro, you cannot, again, Bible according to Ben, you cannot go bless these people. You need to stop. This is not going to work. But Balaam doesn't listen to his donkey. I don't know about you, but if you're on a donkey and it starts talking, you listen, bro. That thing's got the hand of God upon it. 
So he doesn't, he ignores it. He ignores, he ignores the donkey. So he gets, he gets to where Balak is. And he's standing, looking over the Israelites. And Balak's pumped. He's ready. And he's brought Balaam out. And he says, bro, let's drop this curse on these jokers. And let's see this blessing disappear over their life. So Balaam gets all ready to do it. And he says, righto, here we go. And the Bible says that Balaam looks out. And he looks upon these people. And he looks at Balak. And he says this. He says, I can't curse these people. But what's powerful is he doesn't say that I can't curse them because they're stronger than us. He doesn't say I can't curse them because they have better gifting or greater talents or they're a bigger army. No, no, no. He simply says I cannot curse them because they're already blessed. If you would understand how powerful the blessing is upon your life, you wouldn't be freaked out every time the enemy comes to try and attack you. You would step back and let your blessing fight for you. Give him praise if you believe that you're blessed by God. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I believe in the blessing. There is provision. There is provision for you this year in 2019. There is provision waiting for you in 2019. But you have to get a new perspective first on his purpose. And the purposes of God will unlock the provision of God. Do you remember the story of Ruth? Remember Ruth and Naomi? The book of Ruth, after Judges in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth, it tells the story of Ruth, that Ruth goes out into the field. She followed the purpose of God for her life, even though it didn't match up with her picture. Her picture, if you know Ruth's story, everything was stolen from her. Her husband had died. She was poor. She was broke. She had nothing. The picture got shattered, but she didn't lose hold of his purpose. And she said, even though my pictures broke, his purpose still remains. So she grabbed a hold of his purpose and she said, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to walk with you. And the Bible says that she's out there and she's out in the field and the wheat harvesters would cut the wheat and the, and the remains, the leftovers often would drop behind them just the little bits, the little parts and what Ruth would do is she would, she would come along and, and, and she would pick up because even though her picture had been destroyed, she understood that his purpose was greater than her picture and she was just being faithful and she would pick up just the little bits. They weren't, they weren't huge, big, overflowing blessing. And provision that we're talking about. No, no, no. It was just a little bit. Because what you do with a little will determine what you're going to do with a lot. And God will sometimes stand back and just watch what you do with that little bit. And see how faithful you are with that little bit. Because how you manage that little bit will determine whether you're going to be able to manage a lot. And so Ruth just hangs in there. And she just sees a little bit. She picks up a little bit. And she picks it up. And she could have. She could have just discarded it. She could have discarded it so quickly and said, how am I supposed to live on this? One little, one little off cut, this joke has got to be kidding. I'm not doing this. How quick are we to throw in the towel when things don't just fall our way? 
How quick are we to, to just, just throw it all in and just give up on God and start blaming God for things that were never his fault? It was all about us not remaining to God's purpose and plan for our life. And we're so quick to point the finger at God and say, why am I here? And we're so ungrateful with the little bits. But if you're faithful with a little bit, you'll, you'll understand that that little bit can sometimes position you Exactly where God wants you because the story of Ruth, if you know it, and that keys can come. The story of Ruth is Ruth. She picks up. She picks up a little bit. And this dude, Boaz, he sees her. And he, he, he thinks she's all right. He thinks she's all right. And he knows. He knows. And so he says, hey, this dude's smart. So he speaks to his boys and says, hey, 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 look after this girl. What I want you to do. Because she's following the purpose, she's now been positioned for the provision. And Boaz says to his boys, listen, what I want you to do. He says, I want you to, I like this wording, put it up on the screen, Ruth 2 and 16. He says, let grain fall from the bundle. Okay, now so we're not talking about little bits now. Now we're talking about a lot. He says, let the grain, he says, what I'm doing is I'm going to position you. See, Boaz, is, it's a, this is a picture for us. He says, I want you to position and I want you to let a lot. Because she's being faithful with that little bit, not knowing that as she's being faithful to God's purpose for her life, she's now being positioned for God's provision. And he says, let a lot fall. And he says, look at this wording, let it fall purposely. For her, leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. Say, let her fall. That was pathetic. Are you asleep? I know you're fasting coffee, but let's pep up a little bit. Say, let her fall. Say, let her fall. He's he's saying, I want you to let a lot fall. And she's going to come and she's going to pick it up. But I want you to let it fall on purpose. See, what he's doing is because Ruth is faithful with the purposes of God for her life, that set her up for the provision. But how did the provision come? The provision came because God orchestrated somebody else's purpose to allow a lot to come into her place. In 2019, I want to speak over your life if you will receive it, that a lot is about to fall in your place if you would remain connected to His purpose, the provision will come. And Paul, and I'm going to close, Paul, he goes on. I'm nearly there. He says, I want you to know this to a church that's doing good. I want you to get a perspective on his purpose, on his provision. And then in verse 19, the last thing, I want you to get a perspective on his power. That you would operate. Paul's saying this to a church that is doing good. A church that's seeing God move. A church that's growing. Not a church that's falling apart. Paul is stirring them saying, yes, you're doing good. But you need a new perspective of God's power. And I wanted to declare it over your life this year. For 2019, 
that you would operate in the power of God like you never have before. That what you used to find difficult would now become easy under the anointing of God. Look real quickly, and I'm going to close Galatians 6 and 22. We talk about the power of God and we talk about God moving and we love it. And we run around the room, we swing from the rafters and we shout and scream and we walk out sweaty. And we say, that's God's power. No, it's not. That's one manifestation of God's power. Because the fruit of the Spirit, the first fruit of the Spirit is your ability to love like you would never normally love before. That doesn't sound, does it? it doesn't sound like super powerful. You know, we talk about power and we're like, man, Shonda Baba. That's my praying tongues. Should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Mitsubishi, whatever it is. You'll get it later. And we think of the power of God. But he says here, no, no, no. Do you know what the fruit of the Spirit is? It's loving people that you normally wouldn't. Not loving your friends and family. That's easy. That's the world's love. That's easy. It's operating love, joy, love, joy, peace, patience. See, we want to preach this because it's hard to shout about it. But it's the truth. I think one of the most powerful things for the church of Jesus Christ would be when the world looks at us and sees us operating in a love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that the world cannot do. But we got too many prayed up, pumped up, speaking in tongues, mean, cranky, angry Christians that are so quick to criticize people, whether it's online or in person, it's time for us to get back to the power of God and say, God, would you anoint me to forgive like I cannot forgive in my natural? Would you anoint me for joy that I cannot do on my own? Would you anoint me for a peace that surpasses what it is I'm going through? God, I can't do this. I can't do it without the touch and the presence of God. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.